are listening to Flock Culture, a podcast where myself and an esteemed guest overanalyze some of our favourite flops. My name is Fanula. I hope you're well. Flop Culture is on social media if you want to follow us. It's at flopculture underscore pod. And I love your ratings. Please rate and review wherever you are listening to this. would be hugely appreciated. If you can't get enough of Flop Culture... Well, you're in luck because we're on Patreon and there's lots of extra bonus content over there. Minimum two new episodes a month. And obviously, if you haven't signed up yet, there's a whole glut of content awaiting you. It's patreon.com forward slash flop culture. Very excited to talk about this next flop, a film that I hadn't seen before, but I was certainly charmed by. So let's get into it and introduce my guest. Fans who grew up with He-Man should have been thrilled by its film adaptation, Masters of the Universe. However, studio interference and dreaded budget issues meant the film ultimately flopped, leaving a blight on the character's universe. Joining me to discuss Masters of the Universe is host of the Extravision podcast, Andrew McCarroll. Andy McCarroll, thank you so much for joining me on Flop Culture. How are you doing? Absolutely fantastic. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Excited to talk about this. What did you pick as your flop? I picked the 1987, I wouldn't even say reverse classic, but Masters of the Universe based on the, well, loosely based on the He-Man cartoon of the same name. What's your first memory of it? What was your introduction to it as a film? As a film, this was back in 1988, I think it came out over here. And this was before you'd have things like movie trailers, like you wouldn't have like a year's build up of this. It was just all of a sudden I looked in the Herald and there's a poster for a He-Man film, like a cartoon I absolutely love. I was like, oh my God, this has just arrived on the scene. Like you can kind of imagine it now, like, you know, Joker comes out and you're like, oh, Lady Gaga's in a Joker movie. It's like, this is, you know, the, the best thing that's ever happened to me. So convinced my my mom and my nanny to bring me into the, the Savoy and to scream one to see it. Perfect absolutely just blown away by it. And it, it didn't matter to me that nothing from the cartoon was in the film. That just didn't register with me at all. And it's just two memories I have. Is it was one of the best cinema experiences I've ever had and one of the most harrowing video rentals I've ever had because as we're leaving, I don't know if you, you watched, there's a post-credit sequence. It's one of like the first post-credit sequence in history where Skeletor pops up after being killed and says, I'll be back. This frightened the shite out of my <laughs> nanny. And... <laughs> She reacted in the way a, a normal 70-year-old woman would. She got her purse and started beating me over the head with it. And I'm holding on. I was like, nanny, nanny. She's like, I know, I know. It was like a samurai. You know, I've pulled the sword out. It can't go back until I've drawn blood. The purse is out. You're getting 50 wax or I won't be allowed back in the city. Like, That's probably the best first memory answer <laughs> I've ever gotten from anyone. It was like her body wasn't, like she wasn't in control. Like she was saying sorry to me as she was doing it. And just... I was just cowering in fear. The second reason I love it is, again, the, the video came out. It was about like two years afterwards it came out. And being a kid, I'd no concept of time. So I'd be going into the video shop like two weeks after the film going, is this Masters of the Universe here? Like, no, no, no. So eventually about two years later, I go in and the box is on the shelf. And we'd have a thing, myself, my mom and dad would go on a Friday night. And it was two for, I think it was two for five or an extra vision. Again, why the podcast called Extra Vision. I'm trying to relive my youth. And I saw the box there. It was like the first one I saw had like the perforated cover to it. Like you could press in Skeletors on it. I don't know if you've seen the po- it was a poster. It's absolutely fantastic. And just gripping onto this video. And I was like, can we just go get it now? They're like, no, no, we have to, to pick out our film now. And I'm just stressing out because I'm convinced someone's going to come in and take like 15 copies of He-Man <laughs> off the shelf. And I was like, can we please just go up? Can we please just go up and get this now? And of course, my mom is a 
well, was an absolute git. So she was like, oh, he's stressed now. I'm just going to walk up every single aisle in the shop. Oh, maybe take we'll as much get time as possible. Go up to the counter. The guy goes, oh, we've none of those left. <gasps> I have a meltdown. I start screaming at them. I The expression that I kept getting said, this is my world. You don't understand this. <laughs> Eventually, the guy who I'd say probably was about 15 doing a part-time job went, oh, oh sorry, I was only joking. I just saw we actually have it here. And my mom was like, yep, no, this, this is not your fault. This is my fault for raising an idiot. <laughs> so we go home and I was like, just the whole car trip. I was like, okay, okay. And I was like, well, you have to have your dinner for us. I was like, okay, come right, on. Right, okay, selfish. Give me like, give my dinosaur chicken nuggets or whatever it was. So go up there, grab films on. So after about five minutes, ding dong. It's like, Glenn is at the door for you. It's like, I don't care, I'm watching him, man. All right, go up to him. So Glenn, I'm still friends with Glenn, but Glenn could talk the ears off a goddamn elephant. Right. So Shout he's there telling me all about, you know, I played this man, i done this, I scored out, saw this girl, she fancy. And I was like, will you please shut up? Next thing, ding dong, Sean shows up, ding dong, darn. So there's four of them in the room now just, and you know. Ruining your viewing experience. Four lads in a room, what are they going to do in here? And they all, of course, start fighting each other. Perfect, yeah. And in my room, which is kind of dangerous thinking about it in hindsight, we had like a glass lampshade directly over my bed, which Absolutely seemed like... insane to have in it in, <laughs> like in the boys' the, room. Was it, the, the, the sword of Osiris just dangling <laughs> over my head at all times. So, of course, one of them, Darren, gets flying in. So he smashes the lamp. Glass goes in. He cuts himself to ribbons. My dad comes bounding up the stairs. Right, everybody out. Throws Darren. Like, Darren's bleeding from a head wound now. Most likely has a concussion. Just throws everybody out in the street. And I was like... Thank you, Father. Service has resumed. I can go back and enjoy my film. I was like, oh, no, no, you're not watching that now. Takes it out, goes downstairs. I reacted as normally as possible. I was going, I was begging, please, please, please. Got up in the middle of the night, couldn't find it. He was out there hiding it somewhere. So driving back to the video shot, I am pleased. like, please, can we keep it for another night? No, no. And there's just this break. And he just turns back to me and goes, don't know what you're getting so wound up about. Watched it last night. Absolutely shite. And I was just like, you watched it without me. <laughs> Trying, like, trying to attack him in the middle of the car. So like, that is why I like the film. I can appreciate, you know, coming to it now in 2023, you probably wouldn't have as many positive memories of it as I would. <laughs> I love that, the nostalgia. <laughs> you said there at the start that there aren't a lot of similarities to the movie in comparison to the actual cartoon TV show, He-Man. But I suppose for anyone who doesn't have the context of who He-Man even is and what that show was. Can you explain that a little bit? And like that, the kind of, the lore, I suppose, before we get into the actual movie. So in the lore, Prince Adam is, you know, the, the Prince of Eternia. Eternia is a kingdom and Castle Grayskull is like, you know, the, the Buckingham Palace at the apex of this. He has an enemy called Skeletor, which I'm sure most people will be aware of. Skeletor has... There's fantastic uh, cast of characters that are his legion. They're always battling each other for control of this. He-Man has this, uh, well, it was a cowardly cat called Krieger that when, you know, he holds up the, the sword of Grayskull and says, I have the power, he turns into this, you know, great big lion called Battle Cat. He has a, a floating wizard called Orko that he has. He also, there's She-Ra showed up as well. She was like, literally, it was like they took the exact copy of like everything from the He-Man thing and just went, okay, let's put a woman on that. Let's slightly female this up. Yeah. And then she's his cousin, is she? Yeah, she's okay. his uh, sister, sorry. Sister, okay. Yeah, we, we I knew there was some We don't realise this until like we're three seasons in. She's never mentioned and all of a sudden a sister the same <laughs> age <is>. shows up. <laughs> Here's this toy. I mean, your sister has shown up. <laughs> <laughs> 
Here's so a you, toy for the girls. You could like you can see now with all the kind of the Marvel and the DC thing if they had this. It's like hey man wearing a cape. He doesn't wear a cape in the comics. Like, well, he wasn't Prince Adam. They didn't have this, and kind of got to get into it. it. Was pretty much it was built, but or sorry, the film was made by like one of the cheapest studios known to man. So pretty much everything I said there looked like it cost money. So they went, no, we're not doing that. Mm. <laughs> they, yeah, they had a lot of. Uh, like production issues in terms of budget and stuff, like running out of budget. So that affected the filming of it a lot. But even before we get into that, what is Masters of the Universe, the film, about? What happens? So what happens is Skeletor has found what's called the Cosmic Key, which is able him to transport anywhere. He has used this to transport into the aforementioned Castle Grayskull. He has taken over the, uh, the sorcerer and put her in some sort of weird force field. He-Man has found the guy who invented the Cosmic Key. He gets tracked down by Skeletor's forces, so he has to, to basically quantum leap his way out of there. He ends up at this weird planet, which turns out to be Earth, which, for budgetary reasons, is not Eternia. <laughs> <laughs> I just... I, I did enjoy it. There's a lot of charm to it. At the start, it was kind of giving me... Power Rangers vibes in turn, but again, I suppose I also have to be like, this was shot in the late eighties. You know what I mean? Like there, I have to give it some allowances there. Um, when we got to Earth, I was like, I cannot believe this. And you have Courtney Cox, and she works in a diner, and she's getting dragged into this with her boyfriend, who she's breaking up with. But I did, I found a lot of comedy in the Earth stuff. Now, I will say, I did also find it kind of hard to follow because the only possible way to stream this anyway legally without a dodgy link and without having to wait for it to like buffer for 800 years you watch it on YouTube but it's split into like 10 10 minute parts which is the worst possible way to watch (laughs) anything like it's just even if you had YouTube premium it's like this is a miserable viewing uh, experience what was the viewing experience like for you this time around did you rewatch it for this podcast yeah I rewatch this every kind of couple of years because I'm like in my head this can't be as good as I remember it being and, it, and I have to say, this time was very different because I can't explain the rationale behind it because I've listened to like the, the three seasons of Flop Culture. I know how the show works. I never, the concept of you watching this film never entered my head <laughs> when I suggested this. And watching it back, knowing you were watching it, it was like, it was like your man walking in and catching you watching porn. It was like, <laughs> as like He-Man is like, he's in like leather pants the whole time. He-Man and, is so overtly sexual in a way that none of the other characters are. Like, he's in, like, a loincloth, like, and he's, like, yeah. oiled, probably for the entirety of the film. I was, like, I am, I'm feeling things that I don't think I should be, and this is fundamentally <laughs> a children's film, no? This 100%. is a film that is supposed to be promoting a toy, and I want to fuck this man. <laughs> and again, one of the... I, it was like being caught with that, because I was looking, like, oh, skeleton men and men, is this the kind of thing you're into? And then Yeah, he, Skeletor as well. I was like, oh, girl. <laughs> Evil Lynn. <laughs> Evil Lynn's outfit. And it was weird because I was very nearly about to text you going, I could definitely see you wearing that for Halloween. I was like, she's giving me Fanula J vibes in this. It was just like, if you walked in with that, I go, yeah, no, that, that seems about right. Now. Imagine I'd come to this recording and I was actually just fully cut it out. Missed opportunity there. Anyway, next time when you come back. <laughs> I unfortunately didn't get myself into Dolph Lundgren. Actually, on that, Dolph Lundgren had a, a fitness video where it's him on the beach in a leotard with a load of scantily clad women doing basically yoga and squats. Perfect. And I asked for that uh, Sandy for Christmas. <laughs> and I got that and I got the Ireland, the away Ireland jersey, the, the World Cup one. 
And my rationale was, well, I can't start doing this now because if I do that, I won't fit into the Ireland jersey because I'm going to become so goddamn jacked, I won't fit into the thing <laughs> at all. So I was like, I'll keep that aside for next year till I grow out of the Ireland jersey. Then I'll get ripped for getting, you know, I didn't have the, the human growth hormone or steroids to go with it. <laughs> I love that logic. Um, let's talk about the cast. You mentioned our, our good friend Dolph there. I mentioned Courtney Cox. Kind of, this is pre-Friends, but she's so funny though because she's playing a character in this and her friend is called Monica, which if anyone picked up on that, I was like, oh, there you go. There's something else to pick up on in that as well. Okay. Did. did you see who was playing the uh, the sorceress? Yes, it's her mom and friends. Yeah. I don't know the actress's name. Christina Pickles, Christina... who's also Drew Barrymore's mom and the wedding singer. There you go. There you go. But, kind of a stacked-ish cast, yeah? Yeah. For the time? But anytime I see, Cor- like, Courtney Cox to me is like the kind of the Forrest Gump of pop culture where, like, she's like, she pops up in Ace Ventura. She pops up in this. She's in the oh, Bruce Springsteen. she's in Ace Ventura. But there's nothing in this where you would look at her and go, she's got potential. Like, this this woman is going to be in, like, you know, the biggest horror franchise, the biggest TV show of all time. You know when you see, like, Brad Pitt showing up in Telman and Louise, you go, oh, this, this guy is someone to watch, like... She's just incredibly, easy for me to say, incredibly bland where you just look at her and you just completely forget everything she's been in up until Friends and Scream. This is the most nothing role ever either and her character is actively, I know she's supposed to be like a teenager in this or whatever and like grieving her parents. Sorry, can you actually try and, can you explain this plotline to me because I was confused towards the end. Was the whole thing a dream? No. No, they sent her back to before when her parents died. So they... The, the rationale behind this was she was supposed to go to the beach with them and she said no, she was going to study, but she really wanted to spend time with the boyfriend. So the parents did what most parents do if their kids aren't going to the beach with them. They took their plane out for a spin and crashed and died. Yeah, her dad is a pilot. So then, yeah, but then at the end, wait, okay, let's rewind here a second, right? So <laughs> all of that is happening on He-Man's planet. He-Man quantum leaps and ends up on Earth. But the Earth he ends up on is when, is it future when Courtney Cox's parents have died? Yeah, her parents have already died. She's leaving. So she's in the the uh, the, the chicken restaurant that she works yes. in. Weirdly enough, that chicken restaurant is also infamous because that's where the Rodney King beaten took place. Jesus <laughs> Christ. I am a fountain of useless information oh about this film. Oh my God. So she's got back. Her parents are dead at that point. She's leaving town, even though she has, you know, a palatial house that she doesn't seem like she's actually selling that her parents have left her. And yeah, she's very going strange. to get away. She's, and she's breaking up with the boyfriend. It's like their last kind of date together and they're eating chicken in the car and he's going to play I'm, what's a concert. I, kept, I was about to say match. I was like, that's not what people <laughs> who music play. Anyway, he's going off to play that and that's when the whole curve, that's when they get the key because they all, the quantum leap happens then yeah. your man finds the key and there's this whole international incident on earth and every Skeletor's trying to get the key, T-Man's trying to get the key. It's a nightmare. It's an international incident you're saying that, but if I don't know if you go back and watch, there's not a single person in this film who isn't a character in this film. Like Skeletor takes over what is like apparently the main street in the town not a sinner in the goddamn place. No one even thinks to look out the window and go, there is a skeleton man and flying centurions <laughs> and an oily buff blonde man uh, attacking each other in the middle of the street and no one thinks to like stick the head out the window and go, again, budgetary things. A great thing with the writer where he like presented the script and it was like, you know, set in attorney. There was all these battles in Snake Mountain and the producers of Canon were looking at going, yeah, that's great. And as he's talking to him, he's ripping pages out and goes, oh yeah, it's all good stuff. Man. Can't shoot any of this. And... Then he was like, kind of left. He goes, okay, we've got a throne room, a high school gym, and a road. So just fi- fix this. You d- make do it with into that. that. Yeah, what you what you can. 
And it's just they were done for like accounting as well because what happened was they'd done a, the prosthetic for Skeletor's uh, mask and he had like this weird kind of overbite teeth and they got the the uh, the bill back from the effects company and one of the bills was from a dentist because they had to do the, the orthopedics for Skeletor. And the guys that kind of went, what's that? Why is there a bill from the dentist? And he's like, oh, because we had to use an orthopedic. Well, that's a medical write-off. Take the rest of this bill and put the orthopedics lad on it. <sighs> So like what? So the whole makeup was essentially you know dental work <laughs> that were like apparently cost one hundred and seventy five grand to do. Oh my god! Yeah, they were just because Mattel were causing issues as well, wasn't it? Because obviously, like he managed Mattel property, and they were obviously heavily involved in this. But I read somewhere there was an issue with them like not paying the production crew or like half of the budget that they were supposed to pay on time. So then they were having to like interrupt filming to make sure they didn't over film yeah. stuff it just kind of seemed like even despite the content issues and the lore and like look you can forgive a lot because it's obviously yeah. a sci-fi movie it just kind of seemed like they were a bit fucked from the off because of the powers that be and like Mattel obviously being really protective of the He-Man image and like them fundamentally wanting to sell more action figures or dolls like that was their bottom line yeah. That was all they wanted. That was their goal. Yeah, the two things that they had with that is one, they had a competition before filming started. Didn't tell the production crew about this and the role, it was essentially you win this competition, you get a role in the new He-Man film. Mm. So they come to shoot, they shot everything on Earth, they were doing all the Castle Grayskull stuff. Mattel turn around and say, oh, by the way, that contest winner, you need to put them in the film. And I was like, you've done everything on earth like I can't just throw a random kid into the film we're like that's great you don't get the five million we're giving you for the budget unless you put him in so like okay got the kid into makeup anything that was discarded from that day's makeup they threw on this like six-year-old kid and there's like a scene where Skeletor walks in and there's this kid who clearly has like he's like patchworks from all the other monsters in the film and he hands him his staff and he's called pig boy in the credits <laughs> Now, to finish off that story, because they were in such a rush, they didn't think to ask the kid, do you have any allergies? Do you have any reaction to it? Glued all this makeup to his face. He had a horrific reaction to it. His skin essentially felt like it caught fire and he spent two nights in the emergency room because this kind of slapdash makeup thing <laughs> just burnt the face off poor pig boy. Oh my God. Imagine being that child. Imagine being so excited to be in this action figure movie that you're obsessed with and then it's like, okay, you're a pig boy and also bye-bye to your skin. Like, this is what you <laughs> this is what you must give up to meet your heroes. But, but, well, yeah, I love Dolph Runger, but I don't know if I'd burn the face off myself. <laughs> <laughs> but the other one just on that as well is that the, the director, Gary Goddard, was... They were holding back with, uh, with finance. There was, like you said, there was people from uh, Canon and Mattel literally there. It's like, midnight, we are finishing this. You're not, because if we go over midnight, we have to pay people. We're not paying a penny more for this. So he had the idea. He's like, okay, we'll film it up until the fight scene with Skeletor and He-Man. So the two of them, you know, Skeletor gets his glow up with his big, you know, gold horns. They'll hit the swords. We'll stop there. And if we haven't got the fight, they'll give us the budget because they're not going to have a film end without a fight between He-Man and Skeletor. <laughs> Really, Long, underest famous last words. <laughs> really underestimated how cheap canon were when, oh, that's great. We'll just have it where they hit the swords and then that'll cut to black. And then we'll say, you know, the sequel, that's when they fight in. So he's like, oh, well, they can't have a film about the fight. I will pay for it myself. And they went, all right, Grant. So small problem. We have torn down all the sets. He's like, okay, so you can have Dolph Lundgren, you can have Frank Langella who plays uh, Skeletor and have one cameraman but you don't have a set, you don't have anything else. So if you notice, like, they're in this epic throne room, which is apparently, like, the biggest set that had been designed since Cleopatra. 
all of a sudden they hit swords. All the light goes out of the room and it's basically them hitting each other with a guy standing in the background flicking a torch trying to change the light between the two of them. They hadn't got the money for Skeletor's makeup, so he just inexplicably switches back to how he was just before he got the glow up. There's no reason, rhyme or reasoning behind it. So it's just these two lads hitting each other with a strobe light in the background because they wouldn't give them the money to finish the film. That's because I do remember watching this, but watching it being like, this, something has changed here <laughs> and I can't quite put my finger on what, that's nuts. Like, that's absolutely, they really were just screwed from the beginning. Like, it was... And because I think some of the, it did like okay at the box office, but it did not make its budget. I think the budget was like 20 million. Yeah, it was million 22, dollars. and I think it made 12. So, yeah, I think it made 17 million then in North America, gross, I think. Which, like, I, so it came behind two films that I'm going to be honest, I'm not familiar with at all Stakeout and The Living Daylights. But again, I think, I think they were banking on the success of He Man as the toy and the merchandise and stuff, but then ultimately, like, the critics fucking hated this at the time. You kind of, you mentioned it a bit at the start that it's kind of gone on to get this cult status, but at the time, I was reading a couple of the reviews, like, calling it Slapdash, and uh, Frank Langella is kind of universally applauded for his performance as Skeletor, but then everything else is a bit like, what's going on, you know? Yeah, I love that, like, Frank Langella, like, was reading things like Joseph Conrad's, like, Heart of Darkness and Many Faces of Evil. Like, there's there's lines in it. He's like, hey, man, tell me about the loneliness of good. Is this comparable to the loneliness of evil? And Dolph Lundgren, who was only learning English at the time, is like, huh? <laughs> yes. And it's like, he's trying to, like, ad-lib and go back and forth. And Dolph Lundgren's like, oh, sweet Jesus. There's actually a story, Sylvester Stallone, how Dolph Lundgren, kind of, his breakout role was Drago in Rocky IV, which came out about a year or two beforehand. He has eight lines in that film. And I'll tell you, they they worked hard to get those eight <laughs> lines from him. Stallone came to visit the set because Stallone had a deal with... It actually one of the reasons Cannon went bankrupt is because they paid Sylvester Stallone 12 million to make a film called Over the Top about arm wrestling that, you know, done about as well as an arm wrestling film's going to do. Jesus Christ. And he's talking to the producer and he's like, oh, he goes, actually, we've got a, an old friend of yours playing He-Man. And he looks up and sees Dolph and he's like, tell me you didn't give him lines. <laughs> And I was like, oh, okay, so this film's going to be doomed from the start. You've got, like, Meg Foster, who's Evil Lynn. She thinks she's in Lady Macbeth. You've, you know, you've Frank Langella over here, the classical actor. And you've Dolph Lundgren reading, like, Swedish to English dictionary. trying to. The... <laughs> and part of it, he thought he was, be, well, he was supposed to be dubbed in the film. Right. So they were going to do, like, the way they done with Arnold Schwarzenegger, his early films, he was dubbed over with a, an American accent. So a lot of the takes you'll hear, like, you know, it's very wooden because all Dolph Lundgren learned English from was Sylvester Stallone and Dracula. So you hear a lot of that in his performance. He's like, hey, why don't you get out of here, Skeletor? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he sounds like, what was it, Jason Siegel, the puppet, the vampire musical, the Dracula musical yes, and Forgetting yes, Sarah yes, Marshall. Yes, yes. He's like, I can't die. <laughs> and because, again, running out of money, is like, we can't afford to pay someone else to do this. Yeah, so yeah, we're, but grand, yeah, fuck it, one take, there you go, done. We're in it now, we're in it now. Do you think some of the reviews were fair though? Like what what is it about the movie that keeps you coming back? I know there's obviously a lot of nostalgia and childhood memories and stuff like that, but what what do you think about the film works even in 2023? Like to me it, this was basically my Star Wars and was, and they were kind of touting it as that as well, weren't that's they? The way, like, there's literally a scene in it that they're ripping off Empire Strikes Back where all the bounty hunters show up and you yes. can clearly see them going, here's our four new toys. I mean, here's our four new characters that you're all <laughs> going to know and love. And it's like, you know, a guy with a little hook for a hand and like, yeah, we can sell hooks. Like, absolutely, completely impractical. He does not use the hook once in the film. <laughs> 
<laughs> you have a frog lad with two little machine guns on his cheek that obviously they didn't have the money to get them to fire. So, you know, oh yeah, well, the toys will have yeah. bullets to come out of that. It's just for me, it's it's Thor. If you've seen the, the Marvel, I know you're not a big Marvel fan, but like the Thor film is literally beat for beat this. Okay. I, um, d- I watched, what's the, what's the funny one? Ragnarok. Ragnarok. Yeah, I've watched mm. that one. Yeah, no, not like that. This is the first okay. one. Thor gets sent back the first, there. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're, they do two, the first two ones, they're like bad and then they make it funny and it's like, oh, perfect, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just do that. We realise yeah. that this character is absolutely ridiculous. Like to me, this is kind of like the point break to Fast and the Furious where Point Break and Fast and the Furious were like they're exactly the same film but one of them like underperformed and like became this cult classic whereas this other one got like 15 sequels and sent them off to space I just want my Mattel universe where you know we've got 15 masters of the universe films and crosses over with Barbie and Hot Toys and Polly Pocket and all that so <laughs> that to me is why I don't nostalgia obviously is a big part of it but I think, like, I don't think it's become a cult classic. And I think part of the reason I like it is because I genuinely think there is no one on this earth likes this film more than me. <laughs> anyone else Challenge you'll say accepted. It to, anyone else you'll see it, they'll go, oh yeah, yeah, it was kind of all right. No one's like, no, this is the best thing you have ever seen in your life. You know, Dolph Lundgren is, you know, pictures of him on my wall still. You know, this is <laughs> the idol I'm going for. And I like that he was the one I kind of backed because you had like Seagal, Van Damme, Dolph Lundgren. And he, he was my guy. And especially when you see like Van Damme, like there's, there's videos of him you know, doing, you know, he's sitting there out of his face going, oh, I'm going to start fighting again because I need to, you know, inspire the children. And then leans down and does about the biggest line of cocaine you've ever seen in your life. And then you have Steven Seagal, you know, aside from all his other issues, he has a show called Lawman where he was given like an honorary sheriff to, to one of the towns he lived in. And they went, all right, you know, just kind of get a bit of publicity, we'll make Seagal an honorary sheriff. He starts showing up to work thinking he was the sheriff of the town. And they went, this is great. Let's make a show about this. And there's like this mad show where like he's showing up. There's one of the young fellas who's like, you know, one of the new recruits. And he's like, this is amazing. Steven Seagal is like, show me how to shoot. And then you've got like the chief of police going, this guy just like, he's an actor. He's an asshole. Like, he's like commandeers a tank during a, uh, a raid of a house because they said it's a meth lab. Turns out the house had absolutely nothing to do with a meth lab. And Seagal ran over a dog in a tank. And it is the greatest series of TV you will ever see in your life. Oh my God. Yeah, not, not, not the, quite the bombshell to end on there. It's like, <laughs> I love Dolph Lundgren because he didn't run over a dog in a tank during a meth lab bus. The bar, <laughs> the bar is low, girls. The bar is through the floor. Uh, you mentioned at the start there about this kind of being like one of the first, in inverted commas, like post-credit scenes in, you know, that kind of kicks, like Marvel is famous for it now, but like this was really a revelation to you as a child. And I'm sure many others where Skeletor comes up and he's like, I'll be back. What were the plans for that sequel? So the sequel, Dolph Lundgren hated this. He is, He's on record as saying he despised making this. He wasn't coming back. Canon went, all right, fair enough. Well, that's good because, you know, the way we were such a low budget, we're actually going to half that again. And they cast an Australian surfer in the role of He-Man. Okay. Yeah, as as you do. Yeah. And then they went, okay, so we haven't got the money for attorney. We haven't got the money for this. So what we're going to do is we're going to make He-Man an American football player. And Perfect. Skeletor will be an industrialist, not in the makeup. And they're like, well, what the hell kind of film is this? So obviously, as this went on, Canon were kind of going out of business. And they went, yeah, we can't really make a He-Man film where He-Man is a football player and Skeletor is a businessman. So what we'll do is we'll take all of these costumes and we'll give them to Jean-Claude Van Damme because he's making a film called Cyborg that doesn't have any costumes. Let's just give that to them. So if you watch, there's this, it's a god-awful film called Cyborg where 
one of the guys is dressed like Skeletor, one of the guys is in He-Man's gear, one of the guys is in Man-at-Arms costume, and it's never explained where they have got this from. It's just a case of, look, we kind of half-built these, so you, you go ahead and take them on. So is that viewed as a sequel to, even though it's a sequel to Master of the Universe, even though it's like a totally different film? It's nothing to do with it, but it was listed. Like this, If you look at those like cinema listings where it's like called Cyborg, Masters of the Universe 2, even though like there's no one called He-Man, there's no one called... It's no connection to it at all. It's literally just like, oh, I found these bundle of clothes on the floor. Can you, you know, put them in your film? It's just beyond, beyond strange. They're, they have been kicking around a reboot for a while and like we're talking since kind of I think it was an issue being developed in 2004 and then Sony took over the rights from Warner Brothers in 2009 and then you'd all like again one of these cursed projects where it's like there's constantly people coming in and out I think John M. Chu was signed on to direct in 2012 he left we had uh, Noah Centineo cast as He-Man he left I think during the pandemic so I think now we have uh, someone called Kyle Allen is going to play He-Man. Netflix has the rights. This is as of the start of last year, 2022. Dave Callahan uh, is writing a new draft of the screenplay. And I think they were scheduled to be filming in New Mexico this year. I don't know. Yeah, that's gone but, That's gone for a hop as well. The thing oh that sticks out for God, me is like they keep casting people as He-Man who look like they weigh about 150 pounds soaking wet. I don't know. When I read the Noah Centineo name, I was like, I can kind of see it from an acting perspective. Pfft, not sure. But then I'm also like, not being funny, how good of an actor do you need to be to be <laughs> your man? Um, as uh, Dolph kind of illustrated. But okay, so this has been kicked around again. Do you think this is ever going to see the light of day? And if it does, what would you like to see in a reboot? Would you like a movie? Would you like a TV series? Do you have anyone in mind casting wise? Or are you just like, can you leave this the fuck alone because it's perfect as it is? <laughs> I wouldn't quite say it's perfect as it is. I think there's, <laughs> there's, there's, there's one or two things you could tweak in it now, but I'd love to see a film of it being done. But again, I think you need to cast a kind of an unknown in this. And I think what's going to happen is because Barbie has done so well, Mattel immediately took the wrong message from this. And we are going to put 47 projects into development now. Mm. We are going to take every goddamn thing we have here and just throw it on the screen. There's no one at the moment that I'd say oh yeah, they'd be great in it because that kind of action star doesn't really exist anymore. No. Like the only one you're closest you have to The Rock and I absolutely fucking despise The Rock. So the only reason I'd want him he's in it is... He's not He-Man. No, you he's know? not even Black Adam. The fact he like changed the entire script of this character that's been around for years to kind of sue him and is god-awful social media. Like, and, like, and it annoys me that people get into it. Like, there's, there's one he posted on Valentine's Day. He's like, oh, I came home, the wife is after, surprise me. And there's all these rose petals on the ground and his, you know, conveniently enough, his new flavour of tequila is there facing forward. Yeah, perfect. And his first instinct is like drop to the ground and take a picture and write three paragraphs about, you know, how Terramina or whatever the goddamn piss is called is, you know, oh, that's for sale now. Thanks to all my wife. And it's like, and everyone's commenting, oh, that's so sweet that she'd done that for you. It's like, she didn't do that for you. It's clearly it's someone has up. set this up. I feel like I'm the only one that sees this and he's like, you know, pictures of him like fishing alone oh it's great time for the mine it's like there's a professional photographer with you yeah <laughs> there's 15 different photos with 15 different poses like mm. you know you are not on your own yeah no he's not he man I'm t- yeah I do think it would have to be your man Kyle Allen who mm. was cast he has a load of credits but like nothing that I'd be familiar with he was in West Side Story American Horror Story Apocalypse actually Alan Richardson the guy who plays Jack Reacher Yes. Because he has that yes. fire hydrant head. That'd yeah. be fantastic. Yeah. They absolutely have to have a rectangular shaped head. Yeah. Fire hydrant head. That's yeah. exactly and what you need. If they're not 
blonde can pull off some kind of you because you're actively coming up against Dolph and that gorgeous head of hair of his. And he had the like, feathered hair in the, the cartoon and he has it kind of a bob, like a, a Karen haircut, which I don't think you could get away with now. No, truly not. I'd say they'll give him a mullet or something, will they? He'd probably have a shaved head in this. They're gonna, it's going to be a gritty, urban, you know, <laughs> retelling of the He-Man story. I don't think I want that though. But like, I think the difficulty, and I don't think, Mate- like, He-Man, and again, maybe I'm wrong because I'm not a child, you know what I mean? But I don't think He-Man... Hard not to take that person. <laughs> you look me right no, in the eye. Sorry, I am not no, a child. <laughs> but I mean even, like, I, sorry, I suppose the direct comparison I'm making is with Barbie. Barbie yeah. is still like very, you know, obviously so well established as a brand. You have kids who are like, reckon, even beyond the film, before the film came out, children fundamentally are still playing with Barbies, know who Barbie is, are interested in Barbie. She's doing all these different things, blah, blah, blah. Can the same be said for He-Man? Again, this is the point where I'll say, I don't know, I don't have children and I am not a child. I'm not keeping up to date on on the goings on of He-Man as, a, as an actual playable toy and figure. So like when I hear of all these Mattel projects, the only one that I that I thought stood out and worked obviously was Barbie, right? Again, I'm not sure how you felt about the film. We could argue about that. That's different. But even if you were to look at like the other projects that are coming out, like Polly Pocket, not really sure how they're mm. going to do that given there are obviously a lot of similarities to Barbie in some ways, demographics, all that jazz, like the Uno game, Barney, like a couple of other things. I just... You're dead right in that they've taken, Michelle have taken the wrong message from this and just been like, we have all of these things that we can make movies out of. And I know they'd already done it with this. I just don't know if they should do it again because I just don't know if anyone really... I'd want to just lean into how camp and ridiculous it is. Yeah, I think it could work from that perspective, but I think it has to be very... It has to be extremely self-aware. Yeah, it has to be. But very I don't know if they'll that. do that. They'll try and do it like they done with GI Joe, where they made like they took all the color, all the ridiculousness out of GI Joe, and they were all just wearing these like bland black military suits. And it's like you're not making this film. You made a great point there. No one is playing with GI Joe or with He Man now. You're making this film for me. So make this as 1987, as stupid, as camp, as feathered funny, hair, like as, yeah. funny. And that doesn't mean you can't have like good action sequences or whatever. I think. I don't know, maybe that's the issue that I think modern actions have. I think they think they can only be one thing. But they don't have to be, especially if it's drawing on references like this, you know? Yeah, you could do something like the, what 21 Jump Street done, like that, where it's kind of like, we're not going to do it uh, like a straight lace of that. We we are taking the premise of this, but doing it in a way that we know this is absolutely goddamn ridiculous. There's like 30-year-olds going back to, to high school mm. and lean into it with that standpoint. But I think you can make a good kind of sword and sandals action film out of that, as we saw with Thor. Just don't take it too seriously. It's more like kind of Ragnarok than than that with the original. Mm. Okay, what's your elevator pitch as to why this flopped? But I suppose also why people should seek it out, should they wish to. I think it flopped because it was too similar to better things at the time. I think you had like Star Wars around at the time as well. You said there the ones it was up against, like The Living Daylights was a Bond film. This was done, like this didn't get any evening showings in any of the screen. It was kind of aimed very much at kids. And I think there is a lot of adult stuff in it that people would get and people would enjoy in this. If you're a fan of the Marvel movies, if you're a fan of Thor specifically, this is a far better version of Thor in my opinion. And I think it does hold up. I think the special effects are fantastic. I think it, you, know, you have things like the map paintings, like the effects haven't aged as badly as it has. 
And what I love about it is everybody in this film genuinely thinks they're making something good. Like everyone has come in here a hundred percent. Like Frank Langella as Skeletor is just he he thinks he's in like a Shakespearean play. Eva Lynn, it was probably one of my first crushes as well. I was obsessed with her. I had way too many pictures of Eva Lynn on the wall. <laughs> and it just the the cast, the characters, the music is fantastic. And it's just fun. It is just absolutely self-aware in a way that films at that time weren't really. And it's just, you know, it's got big muscly action men hitting each other with swords and that's, you know, that's my jam. <laughs> it is it is very charming. I would encourage people to seek it out for a laugh if you're in any way interested in that genre. Um, Andy, what a pleasure it's been. Where can people listen to uh, Extra Vision? You mentioned it at the top. And where else can people listen to you, read stuff you write, anything like that? Yeah, so uh, Extra Vision podcast is on with, with, with the legally... Uh, spelt with an E instead of an X, just in case I know they were in receivership Perfect. so I don't get sued. Yeah. And I also write for Geek Ireland as well. So I have, you know, various musings and thoughts on that. So if you don't get sick of me listening to me, you can read me and put me away at any time. Amazing. Love <laughs> it. Andy McCarroll, thank you so much for joining me on Flop Culture. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much, Shandy, for joining me. I will leave all of his links in the show notes. And if you want to go listen to Extravision, you can go do that now, wherever you get your podcasts. Flop Culture is back next week. I am back next week, so I'll be bringing you news. I'll bring you top of the flops. We are back on regularly scheduled programming. And of course, I'll have a flop for you to unpack with a great guest. This has been Flop Culture. Thank you to Adam Shannon for editing, as always. I will actually see you next week. I will be here. This is exciting. Goodbye.